Hey, what is up, everyone? This is Gary A. Swaby, and you're now listening to or watching the Powercast. And today we will be recapping Power Book Three, Raising Canaan. Season three, episode three, and the title of this episode was Open for Business. And I am joined today by, by Mr. Richard Bailey Jr. How are you doing, Richard? Doing good, Gary. What's up, listeners and viewers? What's up, indeed? And I am also joined by Miss Dana Abercrombie. How are you, Dana? I'm doing very lovely. I'm so happy to be here. Talk about my favorite episode. Awesome. Yeah, um, this was another another good episode. Uh, maybe not as like action-packed as the last one, but um, it was still very interesting. Like if you followed what was going on, like it's some interesting things going on. So yeah, uh, I, I won't delay too much. We're going to get into our takeaways in just a second. But, you know, as always, just want to uh, big up the people for leaving comments. You know, I we always encourage you guys to uh, share your thoughts and theories. Also, you know, we love to hear those. Uh, you guys have some some great thoughts. Usually, um, sometimes it's things that we don't even, you know, mention or you, you, you uh, mention things in like a way that we didn't even uh, think about. So we love reading all of those comments. So please continue to do that because... You guys are just as much uh, part of the show as we are, you know, with that. So uh, definitely get involved in the comments. Uh, hit the like button also and subscribe to the channel. You can also uh, check out the Coalition Entertainment and the Coalition Gaming also. Um, you know, there should be some content over there by the time you, you check this out. But um, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get right into this episode because there's a lot to break down. You know, as I said... It wasn't as like uh, forward with the action as the last episode, but there was a lot to unpack, you know, with the events of this episode. So I, I want to hear what both Richard and Dana have to say, you know, about about this episode. But this week uh, it is Richard's turn to go first. So Richard, when you're ready, hit us with your takeaways. So first and foremost, uh, another great episode of Raising Canaan. Uh, as Gary mentioned, there's a lot to unpack in this episode, so I, I'm going to keep my takeaways to three. There are a couple things that I won't mention. I'm sure Gary or Dana will mention it, but if it's something that I didn't mention, we definitely are going to talk about it because I do have some more to say when we get to those topics, if Gary asks those questions. So uh, first and foremost, let me start the takeaways talking about Unique and Ronnie in this episode. Now, I did say on last week's show, that when Ronnie saw that security guard, he's probably going to kill him. And sure enough, that's what happened to start off this episode. A very savage death for this guy. But hey, you know, I guess, listen, you, you got to take this character serious. You know, you don't say nothing to piss him off because he will remember it and he'll come back after you later. And pretty much what I like about this character is you do see once again in this episode, the relationship that he has with Unique. And it continues to feel very uncomfortable. Because there's a scene that happens right after that scene where Unique and Ronnie go to the gym. And basically, he keeps telling Unique, 
you know, you should have took Rock out a long time ago. You can't trust her, so on and so forth. And at the same time, he's pressing up on Unique asking, what's going on with the money? When are we going to start making money running business? And Unique is trying to, once again, tell him, hey, you need to be patient. I'm working on a couple of different things. Just hold tight. But you can see that he is getting very uh, anxious and doesn't really like being told to just wait. So I look forward to seeing what happens. We do see as the episode progresses, Unique does close a deal with Quan. This is the Vietnamese heroin supplier. And they have a very interesting conversation about the way that relationship is set up with, you know, his sister and the fact that he wanted them to work out of that uh, Chinese, the Chinese food spot. Uh, very interesting conversation, I will say. Um, so I want to see where that relationship goes. And of course, we do see later in the episode that Unique does go there. He has a conversation with the guy running the shop and pretty much they're going to use that as a place to sell more of the product. So let's see where that goes. Meanwhile, Ronnie continues to stir up trouble. He does have a conversation with Unique's girl in this episode and kind of puts it in her head that Unique might be messing around with somebody else. We also see that Ronnie is spying on Unique. When Unique decides to go pay Raquel a visit, he sees he sees uh, Unique leaving. So, um, like I said, this character, I like how they have the tension building between him, between both brothers. So I do want to see where they're going with that. But yeah, it's, it, you know, like I said, very intimidating character. And so I want to see what's going to happen next, but this is not going to end well. I, I can tell you that. I think we can obviously make that deduction. This is probably not going to end well between whatever's going on between him and Unique. And then, of course, the fact that he does want Raquel out the picture. I look forward to seeing what happens with that. So that's the first takeaway. Second takeaway I want to talk about in this episode, I like how they focused on Lulu a lot in this episode. They gave you a whole backstory on the, their father, what happened to the father, the fact that he was a, was a uh, musician and how Lulu basically got his love for music. I, I love how they spent time focusing on that and really emphasize Lulu in this episode because I know we had said before previously we felt like this season was going to be a redemption season for Lulu to basically focus on what he wants to do. He said he's out the game, so now he's focused on music again, but he needed some passion to get back into it. And I like how the start of this episode, you see, he was helping Jukebox finish up for this audition. Unfortunately, he did not make it to the audition. And I think that she's not going to be too happy about that. Her and Marvin are not going to be too happy about that. The next time they see Lulu in the next episode, I would predict, because that was a big moment. He was supposed to be there. And obviously he didn't make it there because he visited that cafe. He had the very great conversation with the bartender who knew his father. And basically, you got you got you got a glimpse of him looking into his future that he wants to basically try to help the upcoming rappers, the people who are performing in that cafe. That could be his new hustle. That could be how he basically gets back into music. But prior to that, I do want to say he when he got into the fight and then he went into the, he ended up getting arrested. I like how they had the scene where he envisioned the two guys in front of him were both D Wiz and Scrappy because obviously he's still dealing with what happened to those characters. The fact that he killed D Wiz and the fact that Scrappy got killed right in front of him. So I like that they emphasize that, and I definitely want to see where they're going. But again, I just like the fact that they're giving Lulu something to do this season. You 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 hope the best for the character, and I'm looking forward to seeing where things go from here as far as the music is concerned. 
and whether or not there's going to be any issues with that. So stay tuned for that. And my final takeaway of this episode is I really like what they did with Kanan in this episode. Obviously, once again, they decided to approach Simrat for, for business. And, you know, while he's there talking about business, trying to get him involved, Simrat's son does mention that Famous is a problem. Famous is an issue. He came by smoking up all the product, eating, eating his cereal. And of course, you do see that Kanan tells Simrat, don't worry about anything. You're dealing with me directly. But obviously, we know that Famous is a problem. So Kanan is going to have to watch Famous as far as that's concerned. But then on the other tip of that as well, we see that Raquel, after talking with Howard, she visits uh, Kanan because she wants to see who is he dealing with, who is he working with now. Tries to get information out of Famous. Famous doesn't tell her anything. She gives him money. And then they had that very heated conversation between Kanan and Famous, where he pretty much tells him, I don't take nothing from my mom. If she comes back here again and you take anything from her, you and I are going to have a problem. I'm going to beat you down. So he warned Famous about this. So what I'm saying is definitely definitely need to watch out for Famous because uh, he has some issues. He's going to be a liability, I feel, later. So I want to see which direction they take that entire relationship in further down the line. And then, of course, we do see Kanan is Kanan is continuing to grow his business. He does make a call out. He does tell Famous we need to hire more delivery boys. Uh, I am, of course, the Razor Kanan delivery driver. So uh, they saw my extensive background of all the stuff that I've done because I actually do delivery work on the side. That's why I was an excellent candidate for that position. So uh, we'll see what happens. Hopefully I can help them. But finally, to close out this takeaway, uh, we do see at the very end why Kanan is having success. Ronnie is there. Ronnie shows up. He's watching Kanan. So it makes me very curious to see what, what they're, where they're going to take this moving forward. Because, again, they started the episode with Ronnie, and they ended the episode with Ronnie. You know how dangerous this guy is. You know that he does not like Raquel. He's going to have an issue with Kanan, I would assume, as well. So I look forward to seeing where they go. Um, but overall, I thought this was a fantastic episode. Like I mentioned before, there's a lot of other things that happened that I did not want to mention because, you know, Gary or Dana might mention it. But we are going to talk about it at some point, so stay tuned for that. But I thought it was an excellent episode. And those were excellent takeaways as well. So well Thank done you. with those uh, observations. And, and you actually did mention some things that I was going to touch on too um, in my takeaways. And, uh, you know, we, we are going to discuss it more also in uh, the questions and discussion. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, give my takeaways now. Uh, Dana should be back in a, in a moment. But um, yeah, so let me begin. Um, so the first thing I wanted to mention is that, uh, who's that? Is that Dana? Okay, Dana's back. So yeah, the first thing I wanted to mention is I kind of see like a parallel forming uh, between OG power and raising Canaan here. Um, and the reason I say that is because we know that right now, you know, Canaan isn't really rocking with his mother at the moment, right? And then um, on the other side of things, you have Unique's brother, Ronnie, you know, and he clearly, you know, isn't liking the situation with Raquel. Um, now he knows that Unique is messing with Raquel. 
you know, because he followed Unique. And we see what happens at the end where Ronnie is staring intensely at Kanan. Now, he's probably showing up there with the intention to maybe mess with Kanan to get at Raquel. But once he knows that, you know, Kanan actually isn't rocking with Raquel right now, maybe, you know, he'll see some sort of opportunity to manipulate Kanan and use him as a tool, you know, use him as a chess piece. Now, if you think back to OG Power, that's the exact same thing Kanan did to Tariq because Tariq wasn't rocking with with Ghost at all. And, you know, Kanan, there was that, there's that scene where Kanan was actually going to kill Tariq until he, he realized that, you know, uh, Tariq had some hatred for his father pent up, you know, and, and he was expressing himself and he was like, wow, you know, you really hate your father. And then that's when he made the decision to kind of use Tariq as a tool, as a pawn, you know, against Ghost. So, to me, this seems like a parallel that could be kind of forming, and maybe this is what actually makes Kanan do the same thing to, to Tariq later on in his life. You know, uh, maybe it's because of this runny situation. So um, I'm, I'm really interested to see what the interaction is going to be like between uh, Kanan and Ronnie when they actually, you know, have a conversation, because we know they do from the trailer. And I'm I'm going to guess that that might be in the next episode uh, where they finally, when the two characters finally interact. Because, you know, <laughs> Kanan, um, oh, Kanan um, already actually knows who Ronnie is, you know, because he told Famous, like, that's Unique's brother, you know. Um, so he know, he's aware of who he is, at least. So it should be a very interesting conversation when they two, when they actually, you know, meet up. And, and talk. And that scene in the trailer looks like it was kind of outside of the apartment building or something. So, yeah, um, I definitely think that's that's probably about to happen. But um, it'll be very interesting if these two characters kind of, like, team up and if Ronnie maybe starts to advise Kanan on, you know, his hustle mm-hmm. that he has because, you know, we, we see that his hustle is starting to, to pay off. <laughs> It's starting to, uh, you know, um, it, it's starting to pick up, and he needs, he actually needs more couriers to to uh, sustain the business and everything. So, Ronnie might see that as an opportunity for himself, and you know, because clearly he he doesn't trust what his brother is doing right now. So, uh, yeah, that that could be interesting. But uh, my second takeaway is that Lulu. I think he might have found his new calling because Lulu has been kind of lost in, you know, the past two episodes, you know, he's been drinking heavy, um, you know, getting drunk and like just staying at the club and, you know, just kind of being a bum almost. Um, And it was the jukebox audition that kind of, you know, gave him uh, a little motivation to, to, to kind of be an uncle. But uh, obviously we see in this episode that he misses the audition um, unfortunately, but he does stumble on perhaps a new opportunity. And, uh, you know, even though I'm sure Jukebox and Uncle Marvin are upset that Ludu missed the, the audition, um, you know, maybe he can make it up to Jukebox with this new opportunity that he has. And of course, that opportunity is that, you know, he found that bar and he started talking to the, the bartender 
And, you know, he kind of offered, you know, his services in a way, saying that, you know, if you need bands or artists to come and play here, you know, I can help you out, you know. Um, I find it funny that after uh, leaving jail, um, his first... uh, Oh, oh, Dana, you might need to mute for a sec, because I can hear. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, Yeah, so... um, the first thing Lulu did after um, coming out of jail was to go go visit the bartender and say ap- apologize to her. He didn't even apologize to Jukebox <laughs> for missing her audition, so that was that was hilarious, you know. Um, but yeah, like clearly he sees this as like a prime opportunity, um, and it was cool how he connected with the bartender through his his father talking about his father. Uh, I guess he heard the music and then he went in and then, you know, he asked her about um, where you, where'd you get the song? And, you know, his father actually played the, the instruments on that, that song that she was playing. So that was a cool little insight. Like Richard said, you know, that was a cool insight into uh, Lulu's father, you know, and, and the Thomas family and everything. Cause uh, we, we don't know a whole lot, but just the little bits of information that we get is like, you know, real cool to know just to see how things turned out, you know. Um, and of course, you know, the, the bartender apologized for what happened to his father and he was like, oh, nothing happened to him. He just stopped, you know, he stopped caring and stopped believing in, in himself or whatever. And uh, that was pretty deep because Lulu was actually almost in that, you know, kind of state of mind where he almost was giving up. Um, you know, getting drunk and everything. So it's cool now that he's found this new kind of opportunity, perhaps, and maybe this will be like his second coming. Um, You know, maybe he'll start being like a a big local promoter to promote new talent in the area and stuff like that. You know, we see that he he was sticking up for uh, the rappers that were performing, like, because the guy didn't want to hear it at all. Like, he was like, oh, what's what's this hip-hop? Uh, junk or whatever like you know he he wasn't used to the hip-hop I guess so he was hating and then Lulu you know fought him and stuff so that shows that Lulu is very passionate about the music and the upcoming acts and um, he definitely he wants to have that sort of manager uh, producer promoter kind of role you know Um, so maybe this you know is going to be therapy for him maybe this is going to help him bounce back and, you know, it, it's not bulletproof records. So, you know, Raquel doesn't own the situation. So it's it's something that he can have for himself almost. So, you know, that was cool, pretty cool to see. Um, and then, yeah, the, the final takeaway is like, it seems like the FBI is working very fast, you know, because <laughs> they're, they're doing quick work right now. So... Obviously, we see at the, the start of the episode, they, you know, they uh, they brought in Stefano and they were kind of grilling him, you know, telling him, yo, if, if, if you had anything to do with Sal, then we're going to, you know, find out about it and, you know, bring your whole operation down or whatever. Um, and then, so it seems like, you know, from that scene, it seemed like they didn't really have solid evidence. But then at the end of the episode, we see that they're tailing, you know, um Raquel I mean we see that throughout the episode because even when she goes to visit Canaan you know there's a surveillance van right up the block so 
they're, you know, they're, they're on, they're on the tail. And what I'll say is like unique actually is working with Stefano. Like he, he, uh, the whole, uh, deal with the, you know, the Asian dudes and, you know, the Chinese store that is in collaboration with, you know, the Italians and Stefano because they, uh, help to distribute the sales. So, you know, if, um, and then there was, you know, there was a scene where Raquel and, you know, she warned Unique about working with the Italians and said, you know, I don't want any of this mess to come back to me, but it seems like this could really expose her uh, in a different way because like, you know, first of all, if if the FBI catches wind of what um, Unique is doing and it trails back to Stefano and, you know, maybe the FBI sees that, uh, unique and Raquel have a, a relationship or a situation, you know, this, it all connects, you know? Um, and then if it gets to Raquel, then what is Howard going to do? You know, Howard is going to have to kind of protect her and pull out the stops. Otherwise it could trail all the way back to Canaan, you know, and that's what they're, they're trying to protect at the end of the day. So, um, Howard is, is in a really, uh, pressurized situation because like, you know, the FBI, that's a whole other level of smoke right there. Like that's because they're separate from the actual police. You know, they're doing their own thing. They're just using the resources of the, the, police, the police department. But, you know, Howard, he can't, you know, he has no say in what the FBI is doing. And he can't really meddle in their investigation because he's not FBI. So that's, that's going to be a big threat to him, to Raquel and to Kanan. You know, so uh, and they're they're already on Raquel's case, so that that's you know uh, it seems like things are going to be really heating up with this investigation, and you know I'm curious to see how that's going to go because we see that uh, Raquel actually is in interested in investing in a business and stuff like she she wants to kind of use her money to invest, so you know, all of this would be a very bad time for her to get, you know, some sort of assets investigation or something like that, because obviously her money is drug money. So, you know, she even told the guy that any money I give you is going to be in cash. So, (laughs) so, you know, she's very exposed at the moment, but yeah, um, usually in power, there's always some sort of investigation storyline or subplot, um, Sometimes it's hit or miss, but I'm I'm really interested to see where this one goes because on top of the FBI, you've also got the IID, you know, um, they're still investigating Burke's case. And uh, let me just say that um, Omar Epps is amazing, like as an actor, like that scene where he, he goes to talk to, uh, I think is, uh, is it Foil, Detective Foil? Um, where he goes to talk to her and like the level of like mental manipulation that he displays is like crazy. Like he just, he kind of throws her off the whole scent. Like he, he makes her feel like she's wrong basically for, for suspecting anything. Like he's like, yep. He, he basically tells her like Burke was in her own head. So of course she killed herself and everything. And like foil was believing every word he said by the end of the conversation, it seemed like, you know, and, and Howard was even like, oh, if you if you need anything, just call me and I'll help you out. You know, <laughs> he, he was giving it all that friendliness. So, he, yeah, this guy is like he's a 
he's real interesting to watch this season, like, you know, his character. Um, but he's definitely going to be in hot water by the end of the episode. Uh, I, I guarantee it because, you know, he's got FBI breathing down his neck and IID. And I just don't see how he could uh, escape this. You know, I, eventually it's going to lead back to him, you know, Burke's death and his ties to Raquel and Kanan. So there's only so long his act can, you know, withstand. But but yeah, it was, it was great TV just to watch that, um, in my opinion. And uh, all of the actors on this show are doing a wonderful job. Uh, there's more I could say, but, you know, only three takeaways. But we will be having our discussions uh, in a little bit. But for now, let's hear from Miss Dana Abercrombie because, you know, I'm real curious to see what she thought of this episode. So go I'm ahead, Dana. Referring, I'm officially referring to Howard as, as Diddy Love right now, you know, because Diddy do it, allegedly. Um, this episode, I absolutely love this episode because we got to see something we have not seen for a really long time and it came from the gut it came from the spurt and that is jukebox smiled she was smiling and cheesing all through this episode and she was looking at herself in the mirror and she was singing and she was clutching her little necklace and she was just so happy and she looked at that army tab the pamphlet and it kind of felt like you know what if this works out, I don't want to even think about that. I don't want to escape anymore. And I was so happy for her. And again, we have not seen this since maybe what? Episode one, season one. Remember when they were all gathered by the table? Like a nice big family before everything just went downhill? That was the last time I truly felt Jukebox was really, really happy. That and when she was with her little girlfriend. But that was like true from the gut. And I, gosh, this gave me anxiety because you don't know what's going to happen. She only had like, what, 30 seconds really to sing. And that's how it really is in auditions. Some people think like, oh, they cut her off. She's going to be a no. She could be a yes. That is how it really is when you at these auditions, especially when you saw the line out the door. They have limited time. Um, these are people who can pick up something really quickly. And I just really hope that it worked out and you know she didn't have any attitude or anything and remember when that girl was like handing her something in the bathroom i didn't know if it was pills. i was like oh lord it's pills um but it wasn't any pills so i was extremely happy for that and also because of the fact that lou wasn't there and they didn't have the track i think could help her even more because you heard the richness and just deliciousness of her voice so I made it, it made me really, really happy. Another thing that's not technically a takeaway that I did want to mention because it, I automatically thought of it, when Rodney was beating the security guard's head in with the door, y'all remember Netflix Daredevil? Remember Fisk? When that, when that guy was trying to talk to Vanessa? And then you would see, like, he's really calm. There's nothing that's going on with him. And then later you just see him beat the guy in the head with, with, with the door to the point where it almost decapitated him. I loved it. I love that scene so much. Um, Rodney is giving me all kinds of, of, of fist vibes, that really professional stern, but then also there's no emotion, which Chris does have emotion, but it's just amazing. And then how he was standing there at the end, do you all remember Mike Myers? He is black Mike Myers. 
how he's just standing and the thing about him is he isn't someone who's like creeping in the dark i'm gonna go spy on you he lets you know i'm looking you he lets you know like if i'm gonna kill you you know it's gonna be me and i'm coming back for you either it's now later uh tomorrow next week or three seconds i love it also what's really interesting with this is that i know it's really easy well for me um you would think that oh maybe he's going to talk to canaan in order to you know get back at um rock uh, get back at rock for messing with unique and unique not standing up because remember he wanted um him to kill rock so you're like but maybe he's actually using this to finesse him to like make him think that we're friends but then again i'm like he's too scary to be friends with anyone and the fact that i can't get what his play is makes it even wonderful because i don't want answers i just want to guess and and be shocked when it does happen so my takeaways actually are this you know the show really kind of opened up with the fact that you know you the, the fish in a tank the, the fish can only grow for whatever environment you put it in you put it in a small environment with a small tank it's not going to get big but once you introduce it to a bigger space it grows and it flourishes and i think that's what we're seeing a lot with this episode um we do finally know what rock was doing when she remember in the trailer when she walked up to that that strip and we're like, oh, she's gonna buy it. Oh, she's selling something out of there. We do know that she does buy this from her landlord. And this, you know, could offer up better opportunities for both her and the family. I still wonder, we don't know, no, if she's really out, out. But this, I believe, could be kind of the headquarters for whatever it is she does decide to do. Also, she's investing in different properties, which we saw kind of previously before, but this is really, really good stuff here. Um, the only problem is that the feds are tracking her everywhere she goes but we do see her kind of grow and expand and try to move out of the drug business um but maybe again this is her plan the whole time and she's secretly establishing stuff to go back into the drug um part um another thing i wanted to mention was famous and canaan their relationship is very interesting where you know famous was always a follower to canaan and now we're seeing him resist more. Granted, he's giving me bum vibes, but at the same time, he's still young and he's still figuring out things, but he's still also a bum. But it really does go to show that Famous is kind of, once he saw the money, yes, that's terrible because we all know what he's gonna probably do, but I'm really looking forward to him continuing to say no, and we see that separation between him and famous or uh, between him and Kanan because you know I don't think that he is someone who is going to completely follow Kanan in that drug life thing he is not a Tommy per se he is not a what's the other guy from the other power show he's not him either but he I think is going to start standing more on his own you know we saw him with the situation with the money he's like yeah but your mom got his money so we don't have to do this anymore and you could truly see that maybe he just is a pothead and just wants to smoke his drugs and 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 do other things this is not something that he wants to participate in and i wonder if this is going to fracture the friendship i did speak to the actor who plays famous as well as kanan about their relationship and we do start to see them grow so 
that's what I can give you for the future. What that means, I don't know yet. How long it'll take to get there, I don't know yet. But right now, there we are already planting the seeds for them to kind of separate. But that money always can change things up. You know, and if your heart is really not into it, it means maybe he's not as good as the job. Maybe he ends up, you know, slipping up and it leads to him being injured or murdered. We don't know. Or maybe he's someone who does things from just the house. We don't know. But we do start seeing the seeds of them separating. Um, one of the other things that's really great that I loved was the fact that, um, Lou, you guys already kind of mentioned this, but we do have more information about his dad. So we kind of learn the person who his dad was and how that shaped him. I also spoke to Malcolm Mays, who plays Lulu, and he does talk and talk about finding success and failure and whether or not he's inspired by his father's failure in order to succeed. And we started seeing that because he talked about his father gave up on his dreams of being a musician. They had boxing that was also in there. I just gave up on everything. And so his goal is not to be his father. So that's why we automatically see, yes, his place is shot up, Zazie's dead, his business is ruined, but here comes another opportunity. And it's not that he forgot uh, what was going on with the jukebox, it was just way too late. He wouldn't have been able to make it on time. So he chose the other option to go to that bar and to just apologize because he realized that his actions in general were just, this is terrible. And, you know, I think that this is a new opportunity that he says that he sees he could be that promoter. He could be that A&R guy, but it's just taking a different route as opposed to something that is on his own in terms of, you know, when he was trying to do the business thing. And also it's separate from Rock. And at this moment, Rock doesn't really seem to be concerned about his business. She's busy doing her own thing and unique. So she's just not really clued in with her brothers right now. Um, so again, we start to see them move differently. And this could bring him more clients as opposed to him just being on his own with a studio. And it's more legit as opposed to being with, what was it, Crown? So, yay. Um, this could be a better opportunity for him as well. And then lastly, I really want <coughs> to talk about um, sorry, <coughs> that they got, um, what was a Tony Danza's character? Um, um, no, it's not Sal. It's the Stefano. other one. Stefano. Sorry. Um, you know, Stefano is currently being tied up at the moment. He's busy with the feds and that gun charge and, you know, the false other charge. So they might drop that really soon. But again, it's really easy. It's really interesting how they can move people out of the way. And Unique was a part of that. Um, once they started bringing up the fish, I'm like, I think that was Unique's doing. Um, so I really love how Unique comes in and like, I want to do business. I'm a friend. But in actuality, you see how he's being underhanded. And he can clearly is moving chess pieces around so that he could take in the business and start moving into different spots. So I really do like that. Also, it goes to show that, you know, he is a very good thinker and a good tactic you know, chess player as well. And you see that with, unlike with Rodney, um, 
he just goes about it with using his brains as opposed to maybe Rodney is is really the the muscle and we don't know yet. I am it's interesting to see that dynamic and how they work out because they do have a lot of similar qualities. They're both good thinkers, they're good strategists, although you know Unique had his own problems with Mattel. Um I just think that Rodney doesn't care. I think he's a, he doesn't have emotion. So he's not really able to, to care. So it could make him a more deadlier brother, but it would be interesting to see how these two work together. And it was a moment, it was interesting, it was very fleeting when he was in the gym and he was spotting him. Well, I just kind of wondered, you know, at any moment he could just kind of kill him and make it look like an accident. Um, so I really liked the tension that they build up between those two there. So that would be kind of my main thing. Also, I like what, what Kanan is doing. Remember, now he's growing. He's out of his mother's shadow, even though it might end up being something worse at the moment. But at the moment, he's successful with his choreo business. So, yay, uh, some Grubhub for we. I like it. <laughs> Grubhub for we. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, thank you for your, you know, your insight, because, um, you know, Shouts to Dana because you know she went to the the Raising Canaan premiere and everything, and she has a bunch of interviews. You guys probably seen a lot of them already uh, by the time this comes out. But yeah, thanks for sharing some of that insight and what you know the cast was saying as well about uh, you know the development of their characters. Um, so yeah, excellent takeaways there. And uh, was you going to say something additional? Oh, no, I was just going to gonna say, you know, we have two interviews. You guys have already seen two interviews dropping every week. We also have shorts that'll be in there. We have photos from the event. So you, you guys just stay tuned to the space. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, check check out all the, the community posts. You know, uh, if you're following us on Twitter, also, uh, we've been posting, you know, the premiere uh, videos and stuff. So definitely uh, check that out. Um, but yeah, Dana's been hard at work, man. So, so shouts to Dana. But um, yeah, now it's time to to get into our questions and discussion segment. Uh, and this is, you know, what I look forward to because I want to hear, you know, some more thoughts from you guys. Like, you guys have such great theories. So, let's start off with this, right? Because uh, Ronnie was such a a big focal point of this episode. You know, the the, the episode starts and ends with Ronnie. You know, so, um, yeah, we, we, we got to talk about this, like the dynamic between Ronnie and Unique. Uh, you know, we saw a lot between these characters, you know, like the, uh, the gym scene that Dana just mentioned. So the question I have for you guys is, do you think Unique is scared of his brother? And I asked this question because he is clearly choosing not to say anything to Raquel about Ronnie. You know, uh, he hasn't mentioned Ronnie. Um, and then also, you know, with regards to uh, Raquel, you know, when when Unique is talking to Ronnie, he he uh, he keeps it very vague in what he says, you know, like, oh, Raquel isn't part of the game anymore and stuff like. So, like, you know, do you think part of him fears what Ronnie might do? And, uh, you know, or is it just that he doesn't want him to mess up the business? Like, is it just that he doesn't want him to mess up the business? Or do you think he genuinely fears him? You know, uh, because 
this could be the case with older brothers sometimes you know sometimes you know the younger brother like you know he he'll he's afraid of what the older brother might do or he's afraid that the older brother might you know mess up his his swag or whatever like and make him look like a little boy or son him or something like that you know so do you feel this is the case with unique and also you know to add on to the question like do you think unique has kind of a, a backup plan or a method of dealing with Ronnie if he gets out of hand because at the moment he's putting a lot of trust in him you know with him being uh, living at home you know where his girl lives and his child and everything like you know do you, but do you think unique is kind of like thinking five steps ahead and thinking like okay if 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 Ronnie does this then I'm gonna do this you know um so yeah that's just another little add-on to it uh, but you know the question is do you think he he's scared of him and does he fear him so I'm gonna go to you first Dana what do you think about that It's an interesting relationship that they have. I genuinely feel he is terrified of him. And you can go back to the first episode. Yeah, the first episode was when they kind of introduced him. You know, usually my brother got out of jail. Oh, my God. Yay. Big bro. Little bro. Bro. Right? We didn't get any of that. It was your brother that just got out of jail. He's in the house. What? You know, and you saw that kind of look in each other's eye where, he just, to me, he kind of just went back into, like, a little boy in a way. You know, hi, how are you? And, like, he was talking to his abusive dad. You're okay? You know, and the first thing that this guy said to him was, like, oh, my gosh, hi, great to be back. I got out of prison. Woo. What was it? It was leave, cut, you know. There was no warmth there. It was just like, you exist? Okay, kind of situation. I mean, it was like a genuine discomfort. Like the entire house dynamic seemed to change. I'm happy the child is not there because I would have felt sad as well. Um, so for me, Oh, you're muted. Sorry about that. I do feel that he feel he fears him. I don't think that there is that loving relationship at all. It might be a situation where it's like kill or be killed between the two of them. And as I was saying before, he gives me that Mike Myers vibe where he's just staring and it's terrifying. And all you just need is that din, 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 and and then you're dead. I, I I don't, I feel that also he, well, he kind of said in the car, you know, I gave you this business to run in, in a way of you're replacing me since I was in jail. But what's really interesting is that he never argued for his spot back. You know, like, thank you. I can come into play now. He never argued for that back. And that makes me wonder, is he trying to outsmart his brother in terms of, I'm going to just take it instead of asking for it back. And that's why he's staring at Canaan. That's why he's bringing up Rock. That's why he's, you know, always in the background, just lurking. He doesn't seem like someone who's going to tell you what the plan is. 
He's going to just do the plan. And if you don't do the plan according to him, even if you don't know what that plan is, he's going to still find a way to kill you. So I just feel that it's a, it's a damned if you do and damned if you don't situation because he is that unpredictable. And that's why I love it. Yeah, that's an excellent point. You know, he, he didn't. He didn't just, you know, say, oh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm back being the boss now. You know, like Avon Boxdale, when he got out of jail, like he just took his spot back, you know, from Stringer. Um, you know, that that wasn't what Ronnie did. You know, he he was kind of, you know, laid back and just seeing what Unique was doing and stuff. So, yeah, he could have his own uh, motives, you know, um, of how he wants to take things back, I guess. But um Rich, what do you think about that? Do you think Unique is scared of Ronnie? And also, do you think Unique has, you know, a contingency plan in place if Ronnie steps too far out of line? First and foremost, uh, yeah, I thought uh, I, I agree with what Dana said on her uh, comments. I do believe that he is genuinely scared of Ronnie, Unique, Uh but I also I also think that, you know, it's a situation where, you know, Unique is trying to prove that he is his own man. He can do things by his own his own ways. And Ronnie is very stubborn to really believe that because, like, like Dana said, he gave the business to Unique. He was hoping that Unique was going to continue to run it properly. But um, I think this is this is this is the issue where Unique has to prove to Ronnie he has a situation well in hand. He's still capable of leading despite the fact that he's lost a lot of people, because, you know, obviously we know last season, uh, Unique lost a lot of his people with all this stuff with the Italians. So I, you know, obviously I, I could understand why Roddy would be hesitant to believe him, why he does not trust Raquel. But I think this is a situation where Unique has to prove to him that he can stand on his own two feet. But what I like about this episode, and with the Roddy character in particular, he keeps stirring the pot, causing issues. I think it's very interesting how they did add the scene where once again he told Unique's uh, a girl he might be messing around with it with somebody else, you know. So that I think is going to be an issue. Maybe put some suspicions in her head that that you know Unique is doing something because again, instead of dealing with the stuff with Ronnie, he's always out there messing around with Raquel, trying to avoid going into that. But I kind of feel like at some point it is going to get to that, and uh, I want to see what happens. When, when, when they get there. But to answer your question, Gary, I do believe that he is scared. I do believe that Roddy definitely has a contingency plan. And I also want to give you a shout out, Gary, because the parallel that you made about how this could be parallel to the original power, that's an excellent theory I didn't think about with the whole manipulation thing. I do think that Kanan, however, is, I, 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 I don't know if Kanan is going to go for that because Kanan, he was very adamant with famous in this episode said, listen, we're not taking no money from Raquel. You're going to do things the way that I want them done. We don't, cause he's really trying out to prove that he can really do this. So that's why I said when he has the interaction with Ronnie, I definitely want to see where that goes because I don't think that he would be willing to listen to Ronnie. I, I kind of feel like Ronnie definitely could see it as a, as a way to try to get into his head because you know, that he does once he finds out that he is not really close to Raquel He's trying to separate himself from from her as well, but I don't know if Kanan will be one to fully 
trust Ronnie and go in full because, again, he's trying to do his own thing anyway. So he doesn't really want anybody to help him in any way, shape, or form. But I definitely want to see where they go when they have that conversation because, like you said, I think that's going to happen in the next episode. And then other things are going to start to happen. But we have to wait and see how everything plays out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, Dana, did you have something you want to say? But, oh, technical difficulties. Hello? She's coming. Okay, here she is. So weird, but it yeah. does that. Sorry. I was going to say that it's going to be a really interesting dynamic between Kanan and Rodney if they ever do have a conversation because, you know, Kanan is a little hard headed, but, and he, he knows what he wants. But at the same time, he's never met a force like Rodney. And so if he tries to outsmart or thinks he's going to play him, ooh, that's going to be a really interesting thing. And I think that the only reason why there would be any kind of conversation with them is one of two things. It's one, he wants to get back at Raquel. And two, the way how he's handling the business so far, you know, granted, the corner boys are not out on the streets as they were back in his day because times have changed. And also the feds, which was another thing that nobody's accounting for. The feds, they're hot and they're looking for action. Um, but the fact that he does still have those corner boys, they're just boys on a scooter, boys on bicycles, you know, and the, the maybe the, the way how they're moving and the speed of which they're moving could interest Rocket. But, at the same time, he could feel that they are violating his space or the space that he once had when he, you know, before he went to jail. And so maybe his goal is to run the business the exact same way as he did before in those exact same spots. So that's interesting. And then also, we do know that the feds are looking at Raquel specifically. And with that, it's going to be the family. So Jukebox is fine. But what is Kanan doing? Why is Kanan always surrounded by these boys? Why are they looking in their backpacks? Why are they passing packages? So at the moment for Kanan, I would be more concerned about the feds than Rodney. But at the same time, Rodney is crazier than the feds. So I don't know. He's screwed right now. Blessings. Player, prayers to, to Kanan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Ronnie could pose a threat, but but here's something to remember about Kanan as well, because, you know, um, I did make that uh, parallel with OG Power, um, and the situation is very similar, you know, with Kanan and Tariq and uh, Ronnie and uh, Kanan, but Kanan is not Tariq. That's one thing to remember. Like, Kanan is no sucker. Like, we've we've seen Kanan fight grown men already you know, in this show. Um, so he, he's not gonna, you know, he's not gonna just sit by and let Ronnie uh, kind of, you know, do whatever to him, I think. Like, um, and, you know, that's not to this Tariq, it's just, you know, he grew up different from Kanan, you know? Um, you know, so so Kanan, you know, he fights grown men, whereas Tariq, he gets beaten by a bag of oranges or whatever it was, you know, that, you know, Dana's favorite scene, you no, know? To so. be fair, though, he orchestrated those oranges. So, he's, he's a little dumb dumb. 
But to be fair, that was that was smart because who would think? Let me get my own self beaten by a bag of oranges because that's how much I hate my father. Let him think that I'm going to die with these oranges. But it's still dumb. <laughs> but I don't see Good. Kanan doing that. I don't see any version of Kanan doing that because it's just something about how they carry themselves are two different ways, you know, and it's because they also have two different backgrounds. You remember, Tariq was extremely spoiled, was given anything, and his I hate you dads come across as like emo faces. I hate your mom, I hate your dad, Ugh. right? And Kanan was raised in the streets. He chose this lifestyle. He's learning from it. He's growing from it. While Tariq is just this spoiled kid who is trying to defy his father. And even though he, and he killed his father and he's still trying to defy him. And it's like yeah. that weird dynamic as opposed to Kanan. Kanan right now, he grew up not knowing, he knew who his dad was, he loved him, discovered that that was a whole lie, has his, tried to kill his actual dad. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna kill him. He followed his mother. So it's a different manipul, you know, Patrice is spoiled and dumb. Kanan has been manipulated. He chose his lifestyle. He's trying to outsmart everybody, but for a reason. So you can't compare the two at all. Can, can I just make one comment and say, uh, I understand the comparison. Uh, I do want to say this though, Gary, uh, I got to give Tariq a little bit of credit because of that beatdown that he gave Braden last season. And ghosts. That was a pretty hilarious beatdown. So I, he know how to fight a little bit now. <laughs> He's learning. Yeah. He got tough. Yeah. yeah, he he eventually got tough. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, we, we gotta give him his credit. But um yeah, like great thoughts over overall on that. Um I do wanna see what the dynamic with Ronnie is gonna be, you know, between him, uh Kanan and Unique. You know, because uh, there's so many ways that can go. I mean, you know, for example, like here's an, another little nugget. You know, what if there's a situation where Ronnie does like, you know, maybe he's watching Kanan for a long time and then like he pulls a move on him, maybe kidnaps him to get at Raquel or something. You know, who is Unique going to side with? Is he going to side with Raquel to help get Kanan back or and save Kanan? Or is he going to side with his brother, you know? So that that situation could come up. Go ahead, Dana. Dana was saying something, I think. I, um, here's the thing. I hope that they're able to keep it strictly business between the two. I would hate for emotions to get involved because I just don't like emotions in my plot. Um, and we all know, no matter what, Rock is choosing her son, no matter what. And unique knows that Rock is choosing her son no matter what. So it's really going to be, it could literally be a fight, you know, or it could be a situation where, remember how in the very beginning when they introduced Rodney was, Rodney was the guy that the bully was afraid of. He was the bully's bully, right? Remember in, um, switch my face, Friday, Debo was the bully bully, they had to team together in order to get rid of Debo. So maybe this may be a situation where Unique has to team with Rock Southside in order to get rid of Ronnie. Because at that moment, 
what we're doing, what we're dealing with, it's, it's kind of fear. It's not, I don't detect an ounce of love. I detect fear. So that could make the decision easier for them to just, you know, I'm going to choose you, not because of any emotion or any kind of love, it's because I genuinely fear my brother for him and then for Unique, I mean, for Rock is my son. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's definitely going to be a compelling uh, situation if that situation arises. Uh, kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, Kanan and Jukebox and uh, Tariq, you know, because um, he had to make a decision to to save Tariq when Jukebox was ready to kill him. So it, a situation like that could 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 be incoming between these characters, you know. Uh, Rich was, you, oh, I think Dana was going to say something as well. Oh, no, I was going to say, I, I was going to say, yeah, I, I agree with everything you both said. It is going to get personal, though, because we already know that uh, Raquel doesn't play about her son. She obviously she's very upset. She wants to make sure Kanan doesn't get into any other trouble. So I, I kind of feel like Unique is going to be in a situation where he's going to have to make a decision. Now, obviously, if Ronnie makes a lot of bad moves and it impacts the business stuff that Unique is trying to build up, then that will make it easier for him. Right. Still going to be conflicted, though, but he's going to at some point have to deal with uh, Ronnie and how to handle that situation. But I look forward to seeing how they're going to tell that story, because, like I said, it's a lot of tension they have building right now on all sides. And the way they it would end the episode with Ronnie looking at Kanan as a viewer, it makes you very curious to see well, what, what's going to happen now, because they already told us that Ronnie is a psychopath. So um, what is his play now going after Kanan? I can't wait to see what happens next week. So we got we got to wait and see, but it's a lot to to to, to dissect. We'll we still in. haven't forgotten Mr. Streets need a body. So <laughs> that's kind of what I'm wondering. If Mr. Streets need a body, remember how we always have that innocent and famous again. He's just a pothead. He's a lazy pothead, but he's just a pothead. He does not want to belong in this situation. Right? He doesn't want to sell. He doesn't want to sell, period. He doesn't want it in the house unless he's smoking it. He doesn't want, you know, anything to really do with it. He's like, look, your mom has money. She's giving us money. We have, we can pay the rent and that's it. I just kind of wonder if, you know, because he looked at them both. It wasn't like just staring at Canaan. Remember, it was Famous who noticed him first. So I wonder if, if Famous is a threat. It should be interesting. Not a threat, but in danger. I agree. Uh, and, and and to go right off of your theory of what you just said, a famous very well could be the weakness that Ronnie sees and he brings that to Kanan's attention. I saw him you buying up a whole bunch of product, doing all this other type of stuff. That's why I said I definitely want to see where they're going with that. Because we do know that Ronnie and Kanan are going to have an interaction because we saw that in the season trailer, but uh, I we don't know the nature of anything that they discuss. So uh, maybe we'll get our answer next week. But very interesting to look forward to. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, F Famous could definitely be exploited, you know. Because, um, <laughs> I mean, j just look at Raquel. You know, she put money in his pocket and was like, yeah, you know, tell me what Kanan's up to and stuff. So, yeah, like, 
Okay, Here's the thing about that scene. I didn't view that as an exploitation. Rock, again, genuinely cares about her son. Her son is currently living in a bummy place. What a bum. And I, I'm sorry to keep calling this. He's a young kid. I don't know why I keep calling him that. But he's living in this awful place where at the moment, they don't look like they're going anywhere. You know? And I'm not to say, it's not to say that, you know, they're, they're using famous. Famous is just in a different mindset than Kanan. Remember, that's Kanan's mother. That's not Famous's mother. So Famous has no reason to be mad at Raquel at all. Right now, he's just thankful for that money. They can finally eat something other than pizza. They can afford the place for one more month, you know? So that's why I'm, I don't really think he's being exploited. I think is you see two kids, because at the end of the day, they're two teenagers living on their own with no means of doing of anything. And if it wasn't probably for Canaan, they would have been evicted a long time ago. You know, and you, you can even see how they responded with Raquel. What did Famous said? You know, if I wasn't kicked out of my house, I would have been home. Remember what I think it was Lulu or Marvin said to Canaan, this is your home. He has a home. Famous does not at all so yeah i don't i don't see him being exploited or manipulated i just see these are two different situations and you gotta help your son because and since your son's not helping i mean talking to you you gotta go to the friend because they both live together raquel is someone who is as mean and tough as she is she is a caregiver look at how she treats uh jukebox remember with the necklace you know that really made her day. She knows what these kids needs. It's just they're just too dumb sometimes to accept it. Especially Kanan. Famous knows what he needs. He's accepting the help. Jukebox needed that hug and a necklace. She accepted that. So, yeah, no, Famous is not exploited. He's just sad. Oh, yeah. So so since you brought that up, because that, that is uh, one of the questions, too. Um, cause in that scene where Raquel, you know, she gives jukebox the necklace, she, uh, wishes her good luck for audition and everything. Uh, but she does also, you know, ask her to let her know if she finds out what Kanan is up to as well. So, you know, the question is, was going to be, you know, um, who would jukebox be loyal to in that situation? So let, let's, let's, uh, say that she sees Kanan, you know, his new, courier business that he's doing um you know and everything like that or maybe even sees him with ronnie you know let's see she witnesses that right is she going to tell raquel or is she going to respect Kanan's decision in not wanting anything to do with raquel so uh what what do you think you know she would do in that jukebox would do in that situation so uh who, who wants to go first with that one you want to go first rich it's your time. Okay. I just want to say that's a that's a tough question. That's a tough question. I I I think um, right now jukebox is preoccupied with the audition. You know, as she awaits the results of what happens with that, it feels like she's fully focused on that. She's not trying to get into the stuff that's happening with Kanan. But obviously, would she do it as a favor to uh, Raquel? Of course, she would. 
But when it comes to uh, whether or not she would actually tell Raquel, uh, you know, that Kane is doing something dirty, I I don't know about that. I don't, you know, the thing is this, like I said, she's, she has her own things to, to be focused on right now. Um, at the same time, she is cool with Kanan. So I kind of feel like she did, wouldn't want to step in anything that he's doing at the moment. And she probably would not want to let Raquel know that information, but it's, it's hard for me to really see her wanting to tell Raquel what's actually happening. But again, I, I feel like it has to be a reason for that. I mean, I don't think she has any resentment towards what happened with Kenya when Kenya getting killed right there at the house. She is aware that obviously that none of that would have happened if Raquel didn't start this thing with the Italians. She, I think she, but she doesn't know to full extent all of this information. She just knows whatever happened with the family business that impacted her her mom getting killed. But I don't know if she would hold that against you know, Raquel. So I, I, I kind of feel like if she does see Kanan doing something, she'll probably still keep it to herself. But I guess it, it, I guess it really depends. Like, like here, here's one thing I will say. If she was ever to find out that Howard killed Burke, then maybe that can be a, a catalyst for something that she would want to say something. Because I, I know she doesn't like Howard. All right. I think we all know she's not very fond of Howard. So, uh, she doesn't really know anything about what happened to Burke. She just knows that there were people in the organization that they didn't, they, they were after Burke, but she doesn't know that Howard is the one that killed Burke. If she ever finds that information out, that could probably change a lot of things with that, with how she interacts with certain characters. Um, but I kind of think right now, I would say, I think she's preoccupied. So I, I don't think she would tell Raquel what Kanan is doing unless it, unless, unless it impacts her directly. Um, but that's just my guess. I'll be curious to hear what both you and Dana have to say, because I I, I, I I don't think she would tell Raquel, but I, I could be wrong. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of side with you. Like, I, I don't think she would say anything right away. Like, I think she would just, you know, see it and keep it to herself. But then maybe something happens later that forces her to kind of tell um Raquel but but Dana what was you about to say it's weird because this is a question it's more of is Rock manipulating jukebox to get information here's his beautiful necklace baby but tell me about Kanan so it it, it I wonder and we do know that she cares about her she cares for her that I don't I don't question at all but I do wonder if there's always a motive behind her giving her something or a motive behind the conversation. Because anytime that they have an argument, she's always looking at jukebox like, you know, go and talk. I'm waiting for you at the door kind of thing. So um, I do wonder about that. And I don't think jukebox has a problem with telling information like that. It's not great details like, this is what he came, this is what he said, you know, and he's done with this, and he has feelings like that. I've never seen her, like, break down their personal conversations to Raquel. So I think that she's doing fine of telling information while still keeping um, Kanan's trust. So I think that they can continue that relationship perfectly fine, and it's not going to get in the way of anything. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, damn, what was I going to say? I was going to say something else, but uh, I forgot. But yeah, um, <laughs> no, great points. Um, it's, it's interesting because like, you know, Jukebox and Raquel, they do have a, they, they have kind of a close relationship too. I mean, we know like with Kanan and, um, Kanan and Jukebox, they're cousins and like, they kind of grew up together. So like that bond is, is like strong and like, it's hard to really mess with that. But Jukebox got real close to Raquel in the previous season because obviously she gave her a place to stay when she wasn't talking to her father. Um, and, you know, they kind of bonded a lot then. You, you so, mean when she was assaulted by her father? Not yeah, getting along. Exactly. She was assaulted by her father because she yeah. was gay. So exactly. a little bit different. Yeah, that, that that's what I meant. I, I guess I didn't, uh, you know, I, I didn't say it strong enough. But, but yeah, she was assaulted and she needed a place to stay to get away from her father. Um, but yeah, they, they kind of grew, grew their bond and everything so it's it's hard to say like you know i think i feel like with jukebox if if she feels like um the family is at risk then she's gonna you know maybe help raquel you know to to fix the situation i think like if if kanan is really in danger like if she was to see him with ronnie and just the way they talk about ronnie you know kanan mentions like what happened to him in this episode and you know everybody else kind of knows what happened to this guy so like if jukebox was to see him with ronnie um i feel like she would see that as a threat like a bad you know situation for for kanan to be in so maybe she would feel like you know the 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 family is at risk so raquel should know about it so you know it could be something like that but uh but yeah, like speaking of telling things, so there was a scene in this episode where, you know, uh, uh, Unique's girl comes home, you know, with the groceries and everything. And then <laughs> Ronnie's in the kitchen, you know, he's like, oh, did you bring my cereal or whatever? You know, and uh, <laughs> and he actually, um, well, she asks him, you know, where's Unique? Because you guys were just at the gym. And he was like, I don't know where, you know, uh, unique is he said it in a very rude way mind you you know <laughs> so and then you know he's like oh maybe he's with another girl and then of course later on in the episode uh ronnie is following unique and he sees him coming out of raquel's home and you know he's zipping up his zipper and everything you know so he, he knows what's going down um so do you think that ronnie is actually going to tell the girlfriend out of spite you know, too unique that he is messing with another girl and that girl happens to be Raquel. And we know that Raquel and Unique's girl kind of have like uh, a little history in the show because they had that face-off, like they had that weird staring contest at the bodega where Raquel used to store her, you know, stash her stuff. And, um, you know, Unique's girl kind of complained to Unique about that later on, like after that, you know, she was like, oh, Raquel was looking at me real weird and stuff. So there's, there's some kind of tension between them already, you know? So <laughs> what do you think about that? Do you think Ronnie's going to snitch on his brother? Go ahead, Dana. What do you think? <laughs> Ronnie, Ronnie, you have to remember, Ronnie is a, is, is a mastermind kind of manipulator, maybe. Remember, Mike Myers. So with Mike Myers, him, I just call him Black. Um, 
But what Rodney does is I can see him slip in little information that'll get in her head and then she'll have to confront. And then maybe she's in a car waiting and sneaking and being like, yeah, see, look, and then like there's a big argument. I hate you. But um, he seems to be the kind of person who keeps his hands clean but to let somebody else deal with stuff. So I could definitely see him like, oh, he's not home yet? Wow, I wonder where he could be. You know, Rock is, is, is always late, you know, stuff like that, where he doesn't say anything direct, where it's just randomly indirect, but it starts plotting that seed in you. So that I, I definitely see is gonna happen. Um, it, it, I, for, I completely forgot he had a girl in a whole relationship. Um, but it's not anything serious between Rodney and you, and, um, and whatchamaface, not Rodney, between Unique and Rock. So it'll be, you think it's serious? Richard's giving me the side eye. I'll, I'll, I'll make my comment after your, uh, your, your, your takeaway. <laughs> it's not serious. It's just, you know, Southside. That's it. Um, there's no connection there. I, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. But yeah, no, he's just gonna manipulate the situation and let other people do his dirty work. Oh yeah, go ahead, Rich. I want to hear what you got to say. Okay, uh, so I I agree actually, Dana. It, it isn't serious. Uh, but uh, of course, I will say this. At least in this episode, I feel as though Raquel has let her guard down. The way she looks at Unique, she's like, like, and she does tell him though, I don't want any mess coming with you because she warns him about the Italians. But the mess is going to come, but it's going to come courtesy of Ronnie. So it, it isn't serious, as you said. But it does feel as though Raquel has let her guard down when it comes to Unique. So I want to see where that's going to go moving forward. But to answer the question, Gary, um, I actually think that Unique is, I'm going to say, Ronnie is going to use this information as leverage to tell Unique, you need to hurry up and get me involved in what's happening on the business side. Because, again, he he can easily confront his brother about this without bringing it to the attention of the girlfriend yet. That'll be, I think, the last resort where he brings it to the girlfriend's attention. But I definitely think in that next episode, he's going to have a conversation with Unique and say, listen, I know I know you're messing around with Raquel. And then try to see how he can use that to his advantage to get involved. Like, for example, they introduced in this episode that Unique is now working, you know, w- you know, w- with the heroin supplier. And he is basically the main guy that they saw when he they, when he came to the, to, to the shop. To introduce herself. So what if Ronnie says, well, no, now you need to have me as the person that's coming in there. That may throw them off because they already, they're, they're now getting used to working with Unique. So I kind of feel like he's going to use this as a way so he can get in and actually get more involved in whatever Unique is doing. But of, of course, I think he will have ulterior motives, obviously, because at the end of the day, as you both said, he is a thinker. He's going to definitely have a contingency plan. But I definitely think more than anything else, the first person he's coming back to is Unique because he knows he sees he's creeping around with Raquel. So I think he's going to come to him before he comes to the girlfriend. But again, I want to see if that's the the path they're going to go into. But I do want to say this, Gary. Excellent observation about noticing the tension between the girlfriend and Raquel because, yes, that totally happened. 
And that's why I say they keep referencing stuff that happened in the past so that they can revisit it again in the future. So excellent observation, I, I have to say. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that that's, you know, first of all, thanks. But um, that that's what's great about Raising Canaan, because it really feels like the, the, the story is so tight knit, like they really paid attention and set things up from two seasons ago and stuff like, you know, mm-hmm. and even last season as well. It's like they know exactly the story they want to tell and they're referencing you know, all of the history of the show and stuff. So like all of it is still relevant. So um, that's what's great about this show. So shouts to uh, Sasha Penn and everyone involved. But uh, Dana, you was going to say something. Yes, I was going to say that it's really interesting that Ronnie not only, you know, sprinkled those seeds in the girl's head, but he was the one who was also in, in the back looking to make, to see where exactly what, what exactly was um, Unique doing? And I felt that he's really angered his brother because he lied to him. And this is gonna have like double consequences for Unique. Rodney, again, he doesn't seem like someone you should lie to. So what is he, is he using the girl in order to make, make them break up? Because you see, he does seem like the person who will do will destroy your relationship, everyone around you, and then get to you last. So I just wonder, is he is there multiple factors to get back at a unique at play at the same time? So that should be really interesting. Using, for example, Kanan's son as a way of manipulation. That gets to Raquel, which also touches unique. So that should be an interesting dynamic too. <coughs> Sorry. Oh, yeah. Oh, Lord, I can't move. Yeah, have a drink or something. Hopefully that helps. But, um, but yeah, like, um, and I agree with what you said as well, Dana, um, earlier about, like, because I could totally see Ronnie kind of, like, drip-feeding clues to, to the girlfriend about, you know, what, what Unique is doing. Like, like, that's definitely a type of, like, a psychopathic thing that he would do um you know just like giving her little subtle hints and then you know she's out driving you know trying to figure out what what the clue is you know where like oh unique was where let me let me go see what that is you know like (laughs) something like that so um that would be interesting to see as well um but yeah great thoughts overall go ahead rich can I just make one comment before you go to the next question? I just want to—I just want to say—I did laugh when I saw the Honey Nut Cheerios box because it made me think about a certain beef between two particular people related to somebody that has starred on this show. Of course, Lala Anthony, Carmelo Anthony, and uh, Kevin Garnett—the little beef that they had. So I did laugh when I see that box when I saw that box, though. So I just want to make a comment about that. Wait, <laughs> Richard, wait, what did you explain that? Explain that. Honey Nut Cheerios. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Explain that because because I'm British, I, I don't know about that that beef. What happens? Well, Carmelo Anthony, you know he 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 used to that was that was his uh that's his uh ex Lala Anthony. Uh, Kevin Garnett made a joke saying that she tastes like Honey Nut Cheerios, so uh, they had beef <laughs> behind that. Yeah. Wait, yeah. but what made it worse was people would show up to their games with a box of Honey Nut Cheerios. 
Yeah. <laughs> wow. So that was extra yep. insulting. Yes. Hilarious, wow. but terrible. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. And, oh, and, and then I just... Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to just say that I made a really quick observation that made me cry because prices, if you looked when they went to the Chinese restaurant, the prices were four seventy five. Hmm. And I just cried. <laughs> yeah. You get like the shrimp and broccoli, the beef and broccoli, all, you know, the, the general style chicken, four seventy five. I just cried because you cannot get those prices today. Oh, absolutely not. No. Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's definitely some 90s prices right there. Because like, even over here, like, you're paying, like, uh, almost 10 pounds a dish. Like, you know, so it's, it's crazy. Like, um, but, yeah, uh, great thoughts about, about the whole runny thing. I definitely want to see what the people think. Um, so I, I want to talk about Lulu. I don't really have like a direct question about Lulu, but I just want to hear you guys like, you know, talk about him. I know, um, I think Richard, I think both of you actually mentioned him in your takeaways, but um, I want to talk a bit more about him, you know, just because he was a big focal point in the episode. Um, And, you know, I guess one question is, you know, could be like, do you think he's found his calling now? Like, is this going to be the new direction for him? you know, working at that bar, you know, striking a partnership with the bartender, the the owner and everything. Um, But also just, you know, give me your thoughts on what you think about him in this episode in particular. Uh, And you can also chime in on, you know, the little information that we got about their father, because that was interesting also. Um, So Dana, what what was your thoughts on on that? Well, um, yes, I think he found his new purpose. Remember, this is something he had, he was attracted to by this, the music alone. It was a jazz, the jazz club, you know, and he's like the blues. And I was like, oh, it's because he's feeling bluesy. So no, he hears his dad on the horn. Um, and that's why he came in. So you, you, it's interesting how they decided to introduce the dad. You know, his dad, we never see him. Um, we hear him through the music. And it's to me, it just goes to show that even with your, when you're dead, there's a legacy, there's that something that you leave behind. And with him and his music, and it literally called to his son. So, wow, that was nice how they did that. And at that moment, we did see that Lulu is is mourning the death of his music business, kind of. And he's way too late to get to Jukebox's performance. You see all the music, how it connected. Um, so I really liked how, no, they, and that's later, but still, you see how he's still attracted to this place. And I really liked how they did that. And it was just an easy conversation. And it was like, hey, can I do this? Can I do that? And she's like, sure. You know, bring in business, turn in what you like. And, and she's really open to that change. And it kind of seemed like they was waiting for each other in that way of, you know, I need a new a new way to start a new business and I need a way to turn around my business. So I really like that. And then also, I've obviously never been to jazz clubs, but it was really random. I guess it was open mic night. Uh, they had the rappers in there. I don't, you know, sometimes it, it, you you have the jazz, you have the, the, the rapping. So it was just really like this cool, like, what would you call it? 
I don't know what you would call it. Um, oh, I can't think of the word, but it's like the open mic night situation where this is like the, the, the up and coming stars. I don't know what the equivalent of that would be in like a hip hop term. I know that there's just plenty of documentaries, but in New York City, there was a place called CBGB's, which was kind of that, but for punk and rock and roll, where it was just this bar you go to and random young people would play and they would later on become really big acts in the future. So that is basically the equivalent of what's going on here. And, you know, I really like how that's going with him. It's something that's completely different. If you would have said in the very beginning, you know, is this where you would probably see him being, I would have said no, because, you know, him doing that, that business with Crown seemed to be more plausible having that record studio. But this is a way where he can completely get Raquel out of his business and still continue his business. He has, she has no ownership over that. And he seemed really happy when he was having that conversation. And the fact that we learned a lot about his father in terms of music and we learned where his appreciation for music came from. But it's really interesting how he said, you know, his father basically gave up on life. And he, he says that in kind of like, I don't want to say a complete resentment, but you could tell that that's, that is something that he doesn't want to do. He, when he was, for example, was in that scene with Kanan on the floor where they were sharing a bottle, it seemed that that was his low point right there. Right. That that also when he was in the club completely drunk with Marvin seemed like maybe that was the low spot right there. And maybe internally it reminded him of his father. But once he started to hear the music again, you know, that metaphor, it grew. And now look at where he's at. He has that promise and that hope. And the fact that his father kind of became a failure. I had, again, I had a conversation with Malcolm Mays about finding success in his father's failure. He does not want to be his father. He's going to work to be the complete opposite. So he's down, but unlike his father, he's not going to stay down. So I I like the dynamic of where they're going and that it's, again, it's a fresh new start. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great uh, insight there. Um, and yeah, let, let, let's hear from, from uh, Richard first. So, Richard, what do you think about uh, Lulu? Like, has he found his calling? And, um, you know, just anything else uh, you want to add about Lulu as well in this episode? Uh, I definitely believe that Lulu has found his calling. Uh, I like how this episode focused a lot more on him and really tried to give you a, a perspective of where you could potentially see the character go from here. Um, it's hard for me to to understand. I mean, I... I, I know what his goal is of what his plan is to basically do at this club. Now I'm not really sure how it's going to be impacted. Obviously we still know that even though he is not a part of the drug game anymore, there are people that are still looking they're still after his family to a certain extent. So I would like to see where they're going to go with that. Um, but it's hard for me to really imagine what else they're going to do with the character outside, outside of, of this. Because they can go in a lot of different directions. Um, one thing that I, I do, I would be curious to know, is if at any point we're going to potentially get introduced to people that come by this club. There's one person in particular that I am curious to know if we're going to find out if this person ever comes by the club or is going to be a part of this discussion. 
And that is, of course, another person who also owned a club, which we learned about in the original Power Show, Ghost's father, Curtis St. Patrick. Um, they said that he owned a club and he got killed because there was some drug dealers wanted money he didn't pay up. So I'm kind of curious to know if you may see an appearance of this particular character. I'm not saying he's going to become a frequent member of this club, but let's say it becomes a success. This person stops by and has a look at the club. They could definitely do that. I just don't know if they're going to take that that particular direction because I was trying to think about that connection because that's something that uh, we didn't really get any information on as far as the backstory is concerned. We only knew about Gabe, who was you know, very close with Ghost, but we didn't know anything about his father. So I, I'll be curious to know, because again, that guy also owned a jazz club. So I kind of feel like that's that's there for a reason. So I, I want to know if that's something that could potentially happen. But outside of that, I just think they're going to focus on Lulu trying to basically go for his passion, which is the music, and really try to focus on bringing something out of that. But again, by association, because of the family that he is a part of, because of the fact that the feds, they're now looking at Raquel, they're probably going to start looking at Marvin and and also Lulu as well. So I want to see if that's going to be a, a bad thing for him moving forward. Because even though, because like I said, everything was positive for him. Of course, him getting into the fight that wasn't positive because he missed out on the audition. But now that he has a clear vision of what he wants to do, that's a positive, but there's some negatives that are going to come with that as well. So I want to see how they're going to align that up uh, side by side. You know, it, it's uh, I'm going to let you go in a sec there. And I just want to say this real quick. Like, it's it's real funny that you said that about ghosts, because like when when that scene happened where he was talking about his uh, father and stuff, that that's where my mind went. Like, I remember yeah. that scene of ghosts <laughs> in like where he was talking about his dad at the bar or whatever. So it's, it's interesting that you uh, mentioned that. And that would be a cool little uh, Easter egg if they included uh, Ghost Dad or something. But uh, Dana, you were going to say something. I had the complete opposite reaction in terms of I forgot Ghost and them existed because I was so invested with this story. I wasn't playing Connect the Dots with the other uh, power show. And I kind of like it that way. And I know originally at first when the show first started, we're like, where's Tommy? Where's Ghost? Where's this guy? I'm loving where they're going with these characters being so disconnected from the future that I, I kind of don't want that Easter egg in there. So uh, I don't, I don't want to meet Ghost Daddy or anybody else's daddy. I'm just happy with the environment that we have right now. And I want to say one thing in terms of, you know, Lulu, because he got into a fight, he missed Jukebox situation. I think it was for the, not for the best. Well, yes, for the best also. But it really allowed for Marvin to step up and be like dad. And that's something that we haven't seen. I want to say this. When I went to the season three premiere, they show the first episode. One of the things where people were literally standing up and applauding was when Marvin hugged Juke because, you know, that was something that we've been waiting for for so long to see that transformation. Um, you know, he always loved his daughter. He did not know how to express it. And Jukebox never felt loved. She was told she was loved. She never truly felt it. And with this episode, it's like, I love you. I feel the love. 
we're hugging each other, you know, we're there for each other. And I think with Lulu there, it would have probably distracted them a little bit. And I, it would have took away that, that, that daughter and father time that they had with each other. So I feel that everything worked out for a reason. You know, Lulu was able to find the music and the passion and stayed with him because he came back and made that proposal. So it, I think that was one of those times where everything was meant to be. Lulu focused on that thing. Marvin got to be super dad and he was encouraging. And you're going to do great, baby Dara girl. You know, when she got off the stage, what did she do? She ran into her father's arms like a small child. Like all I was waiting for her, for him to just lift her in the air and swing her around. It was such a beautiful, natural moment that I don't want, I didn't want Lou there. I, I just loved how they just was right there for each other. And she, you know, that's because you blew him away. That's why you only got 30 seconds. Like it was so welcoming and jukebox just needed that so much. So yay for how it worked out for everyone. Yeah, I, I agree. That was a very uh, touching, like, father-daughter moment, you know, between uh, Marvin and, and Jukebox, the fact that they were alone and stuff, and he was just supporting her. Like, that was, like, really good to see, uh, you know, um, especially coming after what, you know, what you said, Dana, he assaulted her, you know? Um, so just to see his transformation after going through anger management, and, you know, he obviously, uh, he lost Renee someone he cared about and um yeah like he's he's come a long way and that that's a that's the final question as well you know I wanted to ask you guys what you think of you know because this is my favorite character so I have to you know talk about him as well but Marvin what do you think about him in this episode because his standout moment you know well the jukebox was definitely one standout moment but um also he he uh, actually went to go help Joe and if you remember in season two, uh, he actually, like, these two didn't like each other at first at, at the anger management class. Like, they were arguing, um, you know, because the, the Joe dude, he he gets angry when people ignore him or whatever. And Marvin, like, he intentionally tried to ignore him or whatever. And then they started arguing. But then they became friends. And, and uh, we see in this episode that Joe found himself in trouble and reached out to Marvin and he came and helped him. And uh, that was a, a pretty cool scene to see because obviously Marvin probably still, you know, he's probably still a little bit hurt over what happened with Renee because she got killed because of the Italian beef and everything. So, you know, just the fact that he's still kind of, you know, um, well, he probably doesn't keep in touch, but like he's still helping out, you know, the people from the anger management class that was a cool little nod you know to see so you know i just wanted to ask you guys what you thought of uh you know marvin in this episode and in particular that scene you know of joe um so rich i'll go to you first this time uh what do you think uh i thought that was an excellent easter egg that they put in this episode just to again remind you of where marvin came from where he's going uh, and I did, and I did when I, when I, you know, when I saw that guy, oh yeah, I remember this guy from last season, you know, Joe, um, I will admit that he was looking at the badge and the badge said, made mention of the voice staff. I was thinking to myself, 
does this guy play any role in potentially helping jukebox? But no, this is really about, and and again, I guess that's to be determined, but I think this is really about the fact that Marvin is still dealing with what happened last season. Um, Maybe feeling a little bit of guilt because this guy, obviously, you know, we, we, I guess we can all conclude this guy was messing around with some drugs. He, He was down real bad and Marvin was there to try to help him get him out of the situation. Uh, I wonder if that's going to be an issue moving forward because uh, this guy has a serious issue. So I, I kind of feel like it's a lot for him to have to carry that burden too, though, because again, Marvin, you know, he he's a drug dealer, right? You see people impacted by this stuff on a regular uh, basis. We saw that last season with the other guy that he had to deal with and he had to kill him. Uh, so that's why I said, um, very curious to see what happens with that particular relationship, that dynamic. Um, but I'm glad they put that in there because, again, they're referencing this character has gone through the anger management classes. He's he's a changed man, and you're getting a reminder of what he went through last season. So I I, I appreciate that they did put that in there for sure. Yeah, definitely. I, I appreciate that. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it goes back to what we were saying earlier, like, they the writers really know what they're doing, like planting these seeds and like, you know, referencing things in the past. So they they do a great job of that. But um Dana, what's your thoughts on on Marvin? I know you guys are not from New York City, but I automatically thought of the village voice. Um that he is a, a journalist. Um I go back to the nineties, but I strongly like I'm fifty percent, fifty six percent sure that he's a journalist from the Village Voice. Um, what is the so Village it's, Voice? It's like a, a newspaper. Oh, okay. In New York City. Um. So that's what I'm automatically what I thought of, and so I kind of wondered. What, I first thought it was like a setup. Then I thought, why is this, why is he, he's a journalist, but he called Marvin. So I was like, is there a story that they're trying to get? Is he, you know, is this all one big ploy? I don't trust anything. So my, it was two things that I thought was, remember how Marvin did good, that good deed towards the guy in the wheelchair and how it came back to him and it saved his life. I was wondering if by essentially saving Joe's life, if it's going to be a good deed that comes back to him. But at the same time, I have anxiety and I'm also just a pessimist. So I'm like, how is this going to bite him back in the end? Is he doing a story on him? Is he going to define, you know, like he's a drug dealer? Is this somehow tied to the FBI? I just don't know. So I do hope it's positive. I do hope, for example, that it helps say Jukebox out and he writes an article about Jukebox. You know, the new star in Queens, something like that. Um, I don't know. But I don't think that they put in random moments for no good reason. So that, I believe, is going to play a part in the upcoming episodes. I just don't know how. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like, because the way like that happened is like they want you to see that, you know, they want you to see that the voice, you know, ID card or whatever it was. So, yeah, that that is going to come into play somehow. Um, and I guess, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, 
Um, and we'll see what the, the commenters have to say about that as well, because I'm sure there's going to be some theories. But, um, you know, let's let's get some final thoughts now and then, you know, we'll, we'll end off there. Um, so, yeah, just anything, you know, anything you think we miss talking about, you know, you can bring it up now or just give, you know, your final thoughts or whatever. Um, for me, you know, I, I really enjoyed this episode, you know, as you know, like I said earlier, it wasn't as action packed as uh, the previous one because we had a big, you know, hit in the last one, like, you know, with Marvin taking out Saul. But, you know, this was a very, it, it was still very interesting. There was a lot of moving parts, a lot of uh, character introspection and stuff. Um, I, I really liked um, the deep dive into Lulu, you know, a little bit because this character has been somewhat closed off in the past. Like he's very cold and kind of doesn't, you know, he doesn't say a lot of what he's thinking. Um, you know, he's been very reserved in the past, but in this episode, you kind of really got into his head a little bit. Um, you know, even when he was in prison and like, you see that he uh, he's hallucinating and he's seeing D-Wiz and uh, Scrappy. So that stuff is still bothering him, you know? So just little things like that uh, made this a really good episode um, to me. So uh, great, you know, great job to the staff, you know, all the actors and Sasha Penn as well. They're doing a great job with uh, Raising Canaan. So uh, that's it. That's my final thoughts. But how about you, Dana? Am I the only person who thinks that Raquel's act right right her, her movements are an act that she knows that the feds are watching and that she's like just doing things out in the open on purpose you know in terms of buying that lot um making it seem like she'll she's gonna have some kind of business or something that she's running because Raquel has always been very uh what's that word uh 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 She's basically on her game. I mean, she knows that if somebody is following her, she knows that the feds might be there. She knows what vans look like. And also she has an in with Howard, who they had a discussion with about feds. So I'm wondering if she's doing and making certain moves that it's for them, the feds, to get them off her back, to make her seem like she's just being normal. I just wonder about that. Um, another thing that really kind of, caught my eye was the fact that um 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 jukebox sung a lyric that said I love you better than your own kin did and just for that moment she was singing it to herself so I'm hoping and wondering if she's like finding self-love and acceptance within herself that would have been really nice and really really beautiful so yay to that um on oh, and then another thing that is really interesting for me is that um think, wait I think that that may be it just bring back the 475 prices because that would be really nice but other than that you know I'm interested in learning of how you know this big bowl how it also is going to cause bigger you know situations for them like for example um Tony Danza's character who's I'll always completely forget, but he's gone right now. But when he comes back and he sees what Unique is, is doing, I wonder if he's going to, you know, 
to try to take him out or there's going to be some kind of vengeance that they're going to they're going to do. Um, I hope they just didn't have Tony Danza for those, what, two, three little scenes from this whole show, and that's it. I hope he comes back and has a larger part, a larger role as well. Um, so then everything, other than that, you know, just it was a really good episode. Oh, one thing I didn't want to touch upon was Malcolm going to Temple. Well, he wanted to go to Temple, but he had a call. And I don't know if he really had a call, but he was just making that as an excuse. Um, is it a sense of like he knows that everything that he's doing is wrong and he really wanted to atone for his sins? Because, you know, he hasn't been, as he explained, he hasn't been to the mosque or temple in a while. And it was the, the guy, I don't know the, the proper terminology, but came out to greet him and was like, you know, are you coming in? So I really wonder if he's going to start struggling with the inner demons with himself and, you know, that whole what he did is wrong. But then at the same time, he's also interrogating uh, Detective Foyle. So I wonder how this is going to start eating him up internally. So that should be a really interesting way that they kind of make his storyline for this season. If he even, if they, you know, if they go that far, because um, he's just acting really, really extra. He's being, to me, so obvious by constantly bringing it up and constantly trying to be so bold with the manipulations. And as we saw in the previous episode when he was at the funeral, oh Lord, she was just, she was so good. She had a lot of things she was struggling with, but oh my gosh, she was the best. You know, it, it was it was giving me too much. It was a little bit of, I'll be missing you. Every step I take, every move you make. So I, I, I wonder if his little showmanship is gonna come back to him. Um, and we do know that the captain, right now, he's just being buried with, it, with feds everywhere. And that conversation that he had with Howard kind of seemed like they're trying to push him out. Am I wrong with that? But it, it felt like when he was being overwhelmed and two, they maybe end up pushing him out of his job. So I wonder where that's going to go. You mean pushing out the captain or, or Howard? The, the captain. Because remember, uh, the captain was like completely overwhelmed. And they were feds everywhere. Like they took over the department, essentially. And it just kind of, he just felt really kind of overwhelmed and despondent. And he was saying, you know, essentially, it looked like he was going to be pushed out of his job. So I, I wonder where they're going to go with that. And then the fact that, you know, they talked about how the previous officer, he did so much dirt that that's how, you know, Ronnie and, and everyone else got released. So it's going to just create a lot of more chaos in the streets. And the captain looks like he's he's at that line now where he's like, I don't know if I'm fired or I quit, but it looks like one of the two is going to happen. No, oh, yeah, that that's definitely a possibility. He, he, he does seem like he's uh, kind of losing control of uh, his environment, like his, his station. So... That could be an interesting uh, story if that unfolds, you know, and he ends up getting pushed out. Um, but yeah, great, great final thoughts uh, overall, though. Um, and how about you, Richard? Any final thoughts? Yeah, uh, I thought it was an excellent episode. One thing I do want to say, though, as a final thought, uh, I know you mentioned earlier, in this discussion, Gary, that uh, you think that Omar Epps, he does a does an excellent job as Howard, 
very convincing uh, conversation with Foil. But uh, I would not have done that because the important thing about that conversation, I listened to how he said certain things to her and he made the comment about, you know, Burke said some stuff that might have been true, wasn't her business and it's not yours either. That's just enough to keep her attention to still wanting to go after and find out, well, what did she tell Howard? What was she right about Howard? That's why I said I would not have approached her at all. Yeah, we know that he found out about that she was still pushing this thing forward. But if I was that character, I would not have approached her at all because now you look more suspicious. And I think that's going to cause him more issues in the episodes to come. But yes, it was excellent acting by Omar Epps, of course. I agree 100%. But this character is, he's in a lot of trouble. So stay tuned. Can can I just say really quickly, unless we don't see it happen on camera, it didn't happen. And we did not see Howard destroy the recorder. Because yeah. remember, Burke recorded everything <laughs> in that car, including the bang bangs. So I didn't see it get destroyed. And he looks like he's going through like something of faith right now because he's staring at the temple like, dear Lord, are you even going to let me in the heaven? So I'm wondering if that means he still has the recording. And maybe he sleeps to it at night and he cries himself to sleep in the pillow. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Uh, that, that's a great yeah. point about the tape. Like, you know, did, did he destroy it? Um, I mean, he's a fool not to destroy it. But, you know, this is TV. You know, uh, there has to be but drama and suspense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. There you go. Yeah. He is a fool. Yeah. He's made some foolish decisions, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I could definitely see that being a thing where the tape resurfaces or something. So, good point. Good, uh, yeah, good callback. But, um, yeah, that is going to be it for, for this episode of the Powercast. Um, I can't wait to see what the people think of this one, uh, what all the theories are going to be. Um but yeah, uh, great, you know, great episode. We we'll, we enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, that is going to be it for, for today. We will be back next week to recap uh, episode four of Raising Canaan season three. So until then, you know, everybody take care of yourselves. You know, I know everybody's probably getting ready for the holidays by now. You know, Christmas is fast approaching. So, yeah, just take care of yourselves, everyone. And uh, we'll see you next week. Peace out.